John chapter 14. This is the last message in the message about living it out. Or I'm sorry, that, that's today's message is living it out. This is the last message in the message about um, how to read the Bible. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a minister, I've been a minister for, for about 30 years, even though I look incredibly young. Um, thank you for not laughing at that. Um, there's times in the service to laugh and there's times to not laugh. And so that was a good, thank you. Thank you for refraining. Um, one of the things that's the biggest desire in my heart is to see people read the word of God and to see people learn to read the word of God. A lot of people have attempted to read the word and just say it's too complicated. I don't get it. And so we've done this Bible, this uh, sermon series to try and give just some simple, real practical points. I think Pastor Seth's done an incredible job just giving simple, practical points to help us uh, learn to read the Word of God. And that's my hope today as we, as we close this out. And so today there's really two points, as there has been each week. Um, oh, and next week we're giving out a bookmark, right? Is that next week? We're giving out a little bookmark for you to put in your Bible that has a summary of all the points that have been in this series, just to kind of remind you as you're reading through the Scripture. So today is two things. One is to live it out, live out the Scripture that we're reading. And number two is just keep on reading. Just keep doing it. Uh, so John chapter 14, verse, verse 21. We're going to read verses 21 through 24. It'll be up on the screen as well. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to, them, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him. We will come to him and make our home with him. And whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine but the fathers who sent me. So we see this incredible calling from Jesus to live out the word of God, to obey the word of God, to, to live what the scripture says. And we want to focus on chapter 14, verse 21. Again, says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And so look at the very last part of that verse where it says, I will love him and manifest myself to him. Another scripture says, I will let myself, or another version says, I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. Think, take a second and just think about what the scripture's saying here. Is if I, if I live out the word of God, his promise to me is, number one, it says that he'll love me, and that's not just a general love, that's a specific loving relationship with him. I can, I can enjoy a, a, a beautiful uh, relationship with him as I live out the word. But second of all, it says that he will manifest himself to me. Again, it says, I will let myself be clearly seen by him and make myself real to him. The main way that we see Jesus, the main way that we can understand Jesus is through the word of God. And the scripture says, as I live out the word of God, he will open up that scripture to me and I'll be able to see him clearer. Does that make sense? That's, that's, that's the benefit. If how, do I, how to read the Bible, how to understand more of the Bible, live out the things that I understand. Live out the parts of the scripture that I understand. Last week, uh, Pastor Seth did a great job in explaining, um, I think it was last week, between obscure text and clear text. And sometimes with the skeptic in us wants to pick the, the weirdest, most obscure text and, and say, well, I don't understand this text. Well, what about the ones that we do? 
you know, I don't understand all the scriptures or all the commandments in Leviticus, but how about love God and love your neighbor? Do we understand that one? And those would be the ones that, that we begin to live out, live out those things that we understand. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 says, if you abide in my word, abide in my word, meaning uh, dwell with my word, uh, meditate on my word, and live out my word, it says, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if I, if I live out the word, if I abide in his word, if I live it out, it says I'll know the truth. How to, how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible better is to begin to live it out. Um, and so a couple, a couple thoughts or a few thoughts about commandments. Um, the word for the day is love. We're going to hear love a lot today. Uh, it feels like the word of the day might be commandment. But let me just say a couple things about commandments. First of all, the Bible is not primarily a book about rules. It's not a rule book. Have you ever gone to the beach and, and there's a big sign that says have fun and then there's like 99 different things that you can't do at the beach? I was looking through some of those. I wanted to throw up one of the signs, but I couldn't find one um, that's as twisted as the way I think. But I did see ones that just said don't, don't run, don't, don't have inflatables, don't have balls, don't have pets, which would make me mad. I mean, it's just have fun, but don't do any of this stuff. And some people see the scripture as that. You know, our invitation is, man, the life of Jesus is great. Hey, quit doing that and quit doing this. And, it, and it's this list of rules. And that's not what the Bible is. This is not a rule book. Uh, it's, it's a revelation of who God is. When I began to see Scripture as a revelation of God, it piqued my interest because I want to know God. John chapter 17 says that this is eternal life, that you would know God. And so I want to know God. I want to know him more. And Scripture reveals him to me. So the Bible's not primarily a book of rules. It's, it's, a, it's a book about relationship. And if you look specifically in the book of John and you look at Jesus' commands, because Jesus is saying, hey, abide by my word, obey my commandments. Well, what were his commandments in the book of John? Primarily, they were receive me, follow me, believe in God, abide in me, abide in my love, receive the Holy Spirit, Love God, love your neighbor. They're relational rules. They're, they're rules and, and regulations about having a relationship with him. And, and you can be a Christian for your whole life and, and somehow miss out on this part of having a, a real relationship with him, which is his commands to receive him and to follow him, to abide in him, to abide in his love, to walk in the Holy Spirit. Also, another word about commandments is what I already said once was obey those that are clear. You know, start with what, what's clear and live out those things that we know. We can really get in a pickle and get into arguments with people about obscure things that we don't completely understand. But I've learned as a Christian just the, just the value and the power and, the, and the, the joy of living out the scriptures that I understand. Primarily to love God and to love my neighbor, Right? Um, to live those things out. Next thought about commandments is that they are, they are not burdensome. Did you know that? Scripture says that specifically. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. It's going to say something familiar that we just read, and then it, then it goes on. It says, By this we know that we, that, that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not what? Burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. So 
not only is the Bible not a book of rules, it's not a book of encumbering, hard, unlivable, joy-quenching rules. The Bible says that his, his commandments are not burdensome. And the last thought about commandments is that they're not impossible to obey. It's not impossible to obey God. Sometimes we, we look at it and we just think, man, I'll never change. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm not supposed to do. Um, and there's just no way. There's no way I can do this because there's no way I'll ever change. And I want you to see a text in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It says, it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God that's at work in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God, God's a God who, when he asks us to do something, when he commands us to do something, he helps us to do that. He helps bring that change about in us. So his commandments are not burdensome, and his commandments are not impossible to obey. Uh, he gives us his Holy Spirit who, change, who can change us and transform us and equip us and empower us and help us to obey. So think about the area in your life right now that, that's maybe been a hang-up. Maybe it's been a hang-up for quite a while. Maybe it's an area where you think, man, this, this part of my character is impossible to change. Even though my spouse is praying every day for me to change, it's just an area that I'm not ever going to make it. Uh, think, about, think about whatever that is. Maybe it's an addiction. Uh, the Bible says that it, it's him who works in us to do his will. It's him who works in us to make that change. He can do that. And so we just begin with a childlike prayer, Jesus, help me change. Jesus, change me. Uh, help me to obey. One of my takeaways from this morning would be, God, help me obey your word. Do we understand that? It's not God barking down orders from, from above, obey this, obey this, obey that. It's a God who says, hey, here's the way that I want you to go. And then he begins to work, do that work in us. If you've been a Christian a while, you can attest to that. If you haven't been a Christian, this is, the, this is part of the good news of the gospel, is that the change that he makes in us. The Bible says that when I, when I come to know him, I'm born again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that I'm a new creation, that all the old is past, and behold, life is new. I become a new creation. He changes me. If there's areas in your life where you've just said, God, I want to change, God, I want to change, God, I want to change, the scripture this morning would give you hope that God wants to do that work in your life. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's, that's, that's good news. And the Bible is a book of good news. So let's go back to John chapter 14, and I want to just look at, at three different little parts of this, of this scripture, 1421. John 1421. I'll read the whole scripture and then we'll break it up. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So the very first part of that is whoever has my commandments. Whoever has my commandments. So first of all, we have his commandments. Then we begin to live them out. We begin to obey them. So having them can, can mean that I begin to store up his scripture. In me, I begin to, to, to ingest and bring in the scripture into my life and begin to meditate on the scripture. Let's look at a couple passages for that. Psalm 119, 11. David says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've stored up. Think about what that would mean to you. I've stored up your word in my heart. Is that easy to do if I don't read the scripture? 
Is that easy to do if I, if I don't begin to have a, a, a time of habit and, and discipline in my life where I store up the scripture in my life? So there's this thing about having. Jesus says, if you have my words and obey them, if you have them, storing those scriptures up in our heart, just, just bringing them in, reading them, uh, meditating on the scripture. Some, some translations say treasure. I've treasured your word in my heart. Isn't that a beautiful thought? To take God's word and to treasure his word. Put such incredible value on his word. Value on those things that he would say. And again, uh, take a simple approach and, and, and read Matthew. And then read Acts. And then read Ephesians. And then 1 Peter and 1 John. Um, take an even simpler approach. Next week when we do the Advent logs and, and we give out a devotional um, Take, take the time to read those. Isn't it crazy that we would, we would leave church on a Sunday morning and say, I, I, want, I want to read the Word of God. I want to have that discipline. And then have a simple tool like a devotional and not do it, not take the time to do it. That, that's nuts. You know, let's just take those, take those first steps. If you're a person who has discipline and already reading the Scripture, think about that you're storing that up. You're storing that Scripture up inside you. Um, David also says in Psalm 119.97, he says, Oh, how I love your law or your scripture. It's my meditation all the day. So I store up the word of God in my heart. I meditate on the word of God. I think about it. Uh, that's one of the reasons that it's good to read the scripture in the morning. Some read it during their lunch break at work, and that's fine as well, or at night, and you lay in bed, and you think about it, and you meditate on it. We can take a, a book that's the revelation of God, 66 different books, and kind of have this blasé attitude like, oh, I already know all that. Well, David, David says, I store up that word and I meditate on that word all day and all night. That's beautiful. And then in the book of Joshua, God says to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and, and successful. So it says again, keep the word always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. So that, so that, usually in my Bible, words like so that or for, I circle those. Those are like little hinge words. So he's saying do one thing so that something else happens. So if I store up his word in my life, store up his word in my heart, if I meditate on his word in my heart, then I'll be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then, then there's this, this desire to obey him. You see the, the sequence in what Jesus said, have my word and then, then keep my word. Have it and keep it. Here they're saying meditate on it and then live it out. So there's this act of bring, just taking in the word of God, consuming the word of God, reading the word of God, thinking about the word of God, meditating on the word of God. Um, some of you have been Christians for 30, 40, 50 years. Some of you even more. And you're still, it's, it's inexhaustible. The Word of God, you still uh, have questions and you still have a desire to read. It's a book that's inexhaustible. It's, it's, it's a living book. And if this morning, if during, during the message, if, if something stirs up in your heart and you say, man, I really need to get into the Word of God. I just don't know where to read. Let's settle that. 
Start in Matthew and then Acts and Ephesians. I'll worry you out by saying it over and over and over this morning. Let's take the devotional from next week and, and read that and begin to just take those simple steps. Um, back to John 14, 21. He says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them. Keeps them. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them. So we looked at has, has, having the commandments, storing up the word of God, and now it's keeping them. It's obeying them. Down, down just a little bit farther in John 14, 23 and 24, it says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me. You know what? Verse, verse 22, it's not up there, but it's a good one. Judas, not Iscariot, said to them, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Judas goes into something obscure right away. He, just, he wants to try and figure all this stuff out. And Jesus answered, and he says, listen, kind of saying, forget about that. If you love me, keep my word. Jesus just simplifies it, just flattens it all out. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Look at how many times love is mentioned here. And he will come to him, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So again, keep my words. You see the word home there? Is that still up there? Yeah, it says that we will come to him and make our home with him. That word home is only used, John only uses it twice. The first time that he uses it is in um, chapter 14, verse 2. And he says, in my father's house, which is the same word as home, there are many rooms and I've gone to prepare one of those for you. That's a verse that some of us use for heaven. That in my father's house, there's many mansions, there's many houses, there's many homes. And so it's something that we think about, wow, that's going to be incredible when I get to be with the Lord. And that he's right now, he's preparing a place for me to spend eternity with him. That's incredible. But in John 14, 23, he says, we'll come to you and make our home with you now. We'll make that home with you now. Not only am I preparing a home for you, we'll make that home now. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's incredible. If your relationship with God has become a little bit stale, uh, he wants to come as we obey his scripture, as we keep his word in our heart and as we obey his scripture. He wants to come and he wants to make his home with us now. If, if, you're, if you're a skeptic or if you're a seeker and you're just wondering, what's this Christianity about? That's what it's about. It's about God coming and, and wanting to make his home with you. John chapter or uh, um, Revelation chapter 3 says that he's standing at the door of our heart and he's knocking at the door of our heart. And the scripture says to open that up and let him come in and to dwell with us. So keeping the scripture, uh, Psalm 40, verse 8, David says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. You see the have and keep again there? It's the same concept. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Your law is in my heart. I've stored up your word in my heart, and now I delight to do your will. I delight to do your will. Psalm 143.10. These are types of scriptures that I really like. Teach me to do your will. God, help me do this thing. Teach me. Help me do this. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I just think that's beautiful. Um, so if I'm going to keep his word, if I'm going to obey his commandments, I can ask him to teach me how to do that. 
I mean, that would be that at the very least what we would leave here today and do is to say, Lord, teach me how to obey you. That sounds pretty fundamental. Uh, but that's what David was praying. Teach me to do your will, O God. So whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. So obeying God is the fruit of loving him. I want you to see it's four different, four different times in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. In all of these, what comes first is the love. And then it's the obedience. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways that we, that we skew that. One of the ways that we skew that is that, you know, number one, is that he'll only love me if I obey him. The, the Bible's not saying that anywhere. Uh, I think one of the great examples of that, so if, if our thought is the more I obey him, the more he'll love me, um, or he's, he's holding out his love until I begin to obey him. I think about the children of Israel and when they left Egypt, you know, with the exodus, and God delivered them from Pharaoh and he took them through the Red Sea. He miraculously spared them and saved them and delivered them. And then what did he do? Then he gave them the law. Think about if he had given them law when they were the slaves. Think about if he'd said, hey, once you figure all this stuff out, once you're finally obedient, I'll get you out of this place. Isn't that the way we think a lot? But God comes and he rescues us. The Bible says that I love him because he loved me first. The Bible says that in this we know, uh, in this we see the love of God, that he loved us and he died for us while we were still sinners. One of the crazy things about this passage is, this passage is about 12 hours before the crucifixion. These are some of Jesus' very last words to his disciples. And it's, it's ladled with love. It's ladled with, with relationship. It's absolutely wrapped up in this desire to walk in a loving relationship with us. And then the fruit of that relationship is obedience. I obey him because I love him. So it's not saying that obeying his law is the same thing as loving him. It's saying we love him because first he loved us. He loved me. Now I love him. Now I obey him. It's really almost a litmus test of some kind. If I'm struggling with obedience in my life, I'm really struggling with my affections. If I'm struggling with having a desire to do God's will, let's, let's say it's just not even on my radar. I just live my life. Just do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. That, that's just my life. What I'm struggling with is my affections. And one of my prayers for you this morning was that God would stir your and my affections for Jesus that he would stir our affections. This is a chapter about affection. It's not just a chapter about obedience. And Jesus, 12 hours or however many hours before he's crucified, that's what he's saying. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Do you love Jesus? 
Do you love Jesus? Sometimes it's just easy to just be, well, I'm just basically a good person. That's not the question. The question is, do you love Jesus? Do you real and our love is always a response to his love. So do you realize how much he loves you? Uh, a scripture that I that I came across uh, right now I'm commuting in my job and commuting about like an hour and a half each way just in the month of November. It's a little crazy for me, maybe that's normal for you. And I have an attention span of like ten to fifteen seconds, so hour and a half is like brutal for me. Those of you that, that are getting to know me realize I don't have much of an attention span. Um, it's not, and that's not because I'm bored. It's just I don't have the ability to concentrate for very long. But what was I going to say? I forgot already what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, during my commute, I heard a scripture out of... So I'm listening. Now, the worst thing you can do for a guy like me is make me listen to the Bible. Some, some of you guys, that's the way you read the Bible is by listening to it. And I applaud you. I mean, that's perfect absolutely awesome. That's just not me. I can't do it. So I'm, I'm trying to concentrate as I'm yelling at people as I'm driving or as I'm just thinking about my day as I'm, as I'm bemoaning my lot in life or being stuck behind people that don't drive as well as they should, whatever all that is. Um, I hear the scripture and I actually, I actually remember it. But it said that in the, in the final days, many love will grow cold because of the increase of evilness. And I think it's fascinating, the, the focus. If, if, you, if you read through the scripture, and just in your normal reading this next week, and just think about the times it mentions love. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Just think about how many times it says it. But he says that in the last days, because of all of the evil in the world, our love grows cold. And so my prayer has been, if your love has grown cold, that he would, that he would stir your affections. My prayer for my kids, I have two adult kids, uh, my prayer for my kids is that God would stir their affections. And I believe that the way he does that is by showing us again how much he loves us. And if we, when we talk about the love of God, if your eyes just roll back and like, oh, I already know all that, you're not, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. I mean, it's unfathomable. This, this, this passage is 14 hours or 12 hours before the greatest expression of love the world has ever seen where God sent his only son to the cross to die for you and for me. It's absolutely unbelievable. It's breathtaking that the God of heaven would send his only son to die on the cross for us. And he didn't do it um, after we proved to him how worthy we are. He did it before. He did it while we were still sinners. He showed us his love. He demonstrated his love. There's people that are going through such hard times, and I've had people say that to me. You know, how do I know that God loves me? Prove it to me. Well, the proof we have is what he did on the cross. Because the scripture in Romans 5 says he demonstrated his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us on the cross. That's something that I need to remind myself of daily. Why? Because it's easy for my heart to grow cold. It's easy for my heart to grow cold. So we see three parts to the scripture. One is, is having the word of God, storing up the word of God in my life. Second of all, it's, to, uh, it's to, to keep his word, to live his word. And third of all, it's this acknowledgement that obedience to him comes out of love for him. Because I love him. 
It's such a theme in John's gospel that John, at the end of his gospel, shares with us an encounter that Jesus had with his disciples that none of the other apostles tell us anything. None of the other writers of the gospels tell us about this. But after Jesus has has resurrected, uh, the disciples, the scripture says that Peter and the disciples went fishing. This is after the resurrection. In the Greek, the idea of going fishing was, it was a permanent thing. They were, they were going back to fishing. They were going back to their old way of life. They were done. Jesus had, had died. I mean, he'd resurrected. I don't really get it. But their disappointment, their discouragement, their, their um, consternation was so great that they just they went back to fishing. And it says that Jesus showed up on the beach on this little lake where they're out fishing. So think about what you would do or what I would do if after all, dying on the cross for him, raising him from the dead for him, giving him proofs that he's, that he's risen from the dead, and then they still just say, this, is, this, this isn't going to work out. I mean, what would you do in that situation? Probably not what Jesus did. The Bible says he built a fire and he made him breakfast. I mean, is that unbelievable? He builds a fire and he makes them breakfast. Fish, I don't eat fish for breakfast, but they did. So he makes them a fish breakfast. Peter figures out it's the Lord, uh, puts on his clothes and jumps in the water. Peter always did things a little bit different. Oh, I'm going to go swimming. Let me put my clothes on real quick. So he throws on his clothes, jumps in the water, swims up to the beach. He screams out, it's the Lord. And then he goes, he goes, he and Jesus and the rest of the disciples, but specifically Peter and Jesus, have one of the most riveting conversations in Scripture. It's probably my favorite passage in Scripture. This is the same Peter who promised Jesus that no matter what, he would never leave his side. Peter has said, I will die for you. And right after that, Peter denied him three different times. I don't, I don't throw Peter under the bus for that because I don't know what I would have done. I'm incredibly thankful for what Jesus did with Peter. Because if I had fallen like Peter did, if I'd done what Peter did, boy, I would need Jesus' response too. So here's these guys. They're fishing, likely done. It's a little bit of conjecture, but that's the way a lot of the scholars think about it. They're, they're, they're likely done. He comes, and instead of berating them from the beach, he makes them a fish breakfast. And he asks Peter three questions. Peter, number one, do you love me more than these? These are probably his fish and his fishing equipment. I mean, it could be the disciples. It could be whatever, but probably his fish. Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asked Peter another question. It's the same conversation. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, tend my sheep. And then Jesus asked him a third question. Do you love me? The Bible says, frustrated, Peter says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Now, there's a lot going on in this text. One of the things that's going on is Jesus is using the Greek word agape or agapeo. Do you love me unconditionally? Peter's using the word philisteo or phileo. I'm sorry, he's using the word phileo meaning I love you like a brother. So we don't see that in English, but Jesus is saying, Are you, do you love me unconditionally? Peter's saying, yeah, I love you like a brother. I love you, man. 
Jesus saying, do you love me unconditionally? Jesus, Peter says, I love you, man. So, I mean, that's going on. But I think the bigger picture is this, that when it all comes down to it, when Jesus has one of his very last conversations with his disciples, this is Peter and, and, the, and the fish breakfast and all that, this is at the very end. Jesus leans in three times and he says, do you love me? Because that's the essence of Christianity. The way you love him is different than the way that I love him. It's different the way somebody else loves him. So this isn't you comparing against somebody else. This is just a really simple question from Jesus to you. And he'll ask you three times today if he has to. Do you love him? I mean, isn't that a beautiful question from God? Because he doesn't say, will you obey me? Because he knows that obedience comes from love. He doesn't say, will you go preach the world? Because he knows that preaching to the world comes from love. He doesn't say, here's the great commission. That comes later. Because the Great Commission comes out of love. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Do we love him? How do I love him? How do I do that? Let's say that's a foreign thought to you. How do I do that? Here's what I would do. I would say, Father, teach me how to love you. I'd begin with that prayer. I'd ask him, Father, help me love you. I want to love you. Father, open up my eyes so that I can see how much you love me. Because my love for you is a response to your love for me. So, I mean, if you, if you, if you break down this book, if you take this whole book, How to Read the Bible, the last point is keep reading it, which I'm not going to talk about, but I've got to throw it out there so I don't get in trouble. Keep reading the Bible. But if you break down this book, it's really a book about a couple questions. Number one is, do you understand how much Jesus loves you? And number two is, do you love him? We talked about miracles this morning in our pre-group. We meet together as a team uh, every, every Sunday morning. One of the things we do is we pray for you. Uh, we're super excited to be able to pray for you. Um, but we, we prayed and talked about miracles today. I'll tell you, there's no greater miracle than a person who has the love of God in their life and can love God back. I mean, that's a miracle. The fact that I love Jesus today is a miracle because that's not who I was. He took my old heart and he threw it away and he gave me a heart that beats for him. That's a miracle. That's an absolute miracle. Um, and let me just end with this. The night that I became a Christian, I, I said a prayer to the Lord. I'd gone through a really hard time in my life, mainly hard because I'd really rebelled and I turned on everybody in my life. I turned on my parents and um, uh, my friends and my siblings. I just turned on people. And my prayer that night as, as an unbeliever was this, as God somehow put this prayer in my heart, I said this, I said, Lord, if you can teach me to love I'll serve you the rest of my life. Because I was incapable of loving. 
all I'd done is turn on people. My life was hard not because of the way people treated me, but because of the way I treated people. And I, I said, if you teach me to love, I'll follow you the rest of my life. So he loves you, there's no question. He demonstrated that. And he's asking you this morning, do you know how much he loves you? And do you love him? Let's pray together. Lord, I stand in awe of your word. I really stand in awe of this crazy, unbelievable, breathtaking conversation that you had with Peter on the beach where you weren't really on Peter's radar and you went and found him and you made him breakfast. And you asked him if he loved him, if he loved you. Lord, I'm really taken back by that this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir our affections. God, I want to pray specifically if there's a person here who would say that the love of God is just foreign to them. Maybe they grew up in a loving family but never thought about a loving God. Or maybe their, their view of God has been shaped by just bad relationships. Bad relationships at home. Bad relationships everywhere. And they think that, that you can't be counted on you're not reliable, that you're not faithful, that you're not truthful. God, I pray for that heart today, and I ask in Jesus' name, Lord, for you to do the same miracle in them that you did in me. I ask, Lord, for you to remove a heart of unbelief and put in them a heart of belief, to remove a heart of stone and to put in a heart of flesh. Lord, would you do that? We prayed this morning for miracles, and I pray for that miracle. I pray for the miracle of a new heart today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we pray for new hearts. And Lord, for those that are believers whose hearts have grown cold, I pray, Lord, for the miracle of stirred affections in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for hope. There's some in here this morning that are just feeling a little bit of hope for the first time. There's hope. They're saying, saying, man, maybe I can have a relationship with God after all. Maybe my past doesn't outweigh the love of God. Maybe I'm the guy that's gone fishing again and Jesus has pursued me and he's met me this morning and he's serving me this morning by serving me breakfast. God, for that heart, I pray that you give them hope and I pray that you stir their affections. Jesus, we need you. We love you. We're so, 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 so thankful for your incredible love for us. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.